Would you open your Bibles now to the letter of John, 1 John, chapter 4. Last time we were in our study of 1 John, we considered verses 7 through 14 of this fourth chapter. So we pick up with verse 15 and uh, go to the end of the chapter. This chapter, of course, is addressing God's love for us, God's love in us. And also then the obligation that we, having received and experienced the love of God, would then manifest that love for one another. Indeed, this is one of those spiritual vital signs of which we've been speaking, that if we are alive spiritually, if we have eternal life, if we have communion with God, then one of the evidences of that is our deep love for and interest in the lives of our brothers and sisters in Christ. We are a body of believers. We are united together with Christ, and thus we also have fellowship with one another. Thus, John tells us that this is one of the evidences of spiritual life, that we are committed to one another, that we love one another. So we pick up then with verse 15 and read down to verse 21 of 1 John chapter 4. Beloved, let us love one another. I started with verse 7. Verse 15. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love. And the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this, love is perfected with us, so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Because, as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we pray now that you would be present with us by your Holy Spirit to enlighten our minds in the knowledge of Christ. We pray that you would deepen our understanding of the love with which you have loved us through Christ, that you gave your only begotten Son, the most precious, most valuable and treasured thing you could give, you gave to us. But we often, Father, are dull of heart and mind and we don't comprehend the measure of your love for us. The Apostle Paul prays that we would grow in our understanding of its depth and height, length and breadth. So we pray, Heavenly Father, for the work of your Holy Spirit, that you would grant us understanding of your word, 
that we would not only know something about your love, but we would experience the power of your love, that it would transform us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. What are you afraid of? I looked up on the um, internet and found a website called the Phobia List. You know how many phobias there are? There were 530. Agoraphobia, fear of crowds. Xenophobia, fear of strangers. Acrophobia, fear of heights. Paleidophobia, fear of baldness and bald people. And then on the other side, there's kinophobia, a fear of hairy people. All kinds of fears. Fears can paralyze us. There was a man who was found after World War II came to an end. Janice Russ, a shoemaker who went into hiding at the conclusion of the war when the Allied troops came. He hid in a farmhouse for 32 years because he was afraid of repercussions and punishment that might come upon him because of any activity he might have had that would be considered pro-Nazi. Fear paralyzed him. Now our text talks about God's love and the power of God's love in our lives. And one of those things God's love does in our lives is addresses the fears that we have. We are told perfect love casts out all fear. In our last study, the first part of this section, chapter 4, verses 7 to 14, we noted God's love is, in the life of a believer, a transforming power. Love is from God. Love is part of what He is. In fact, we are told God is love. He is the source of all that is truly love. And He is manifested that love in a concrete and visible way. He has put His love on display for us. That we might see it fleshed out for us in the person and work of our Lord Jesus Christ and supremely in His sacrifice for us on the cross of Calvary. Now this morning we note another aspect of this transforming power of the love of God. The more and more you are immersed in the love of God, the more and more you experience the love of God manifested in the gift of Jesus, the more its transforming power will be evidenced in your life. What happens in a believer's life if you come to know the living God by putting your faith and trust in Jesus? What happens in your life when you have a life 
changing encounter with the love of God. Manifested in the person and the work of Jesus. In this fourth chapter, in these verses we just read, verses 15 to 21, John four times mentions about being perfected in God's love. Or how God's love is perfected in us. Note, then, first of all, we might say the love of God is a perfecting power in the life of a believer. Verse 12 says, No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and His love is perfected in us. Verse 17 By this, love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Because as He is, so also are we in this world. Verse 18, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves punishment. And the one who fears is not perfected in love. So John speaks here of love that is perfected in us, love that is perfected with us. He speaks of perfect love and of being perfected in love. What does he mean by that? Well, it could mean uh, that John is telling us that it's actually possible for a believer to reach such a state of sinlessness and perfection that he then begins to love others perfectly. However, knowing what we know about the nature of man, even converted men, about indwelling sin and our failure to keep the commandments of God, That's probably very unlikely that that is his meaning. After all, John already has acknowledged that one other vital sign of spiritual life is a willingness to acknowledge your failures, a willingness to acknowledge and confess your sin. It's not sinlessness, but rather a sensitivity, a growing sensitivity to sin that characterizes the life of a true believer. So as long as you have sin in your life, you will never love perfectly. So I don't think John is saying that you or I could reach a state of such perfection that we would ever be able to love in a perfect manner as God has loved us. Then what does John mean by being perfected in love or being perfected with God's love? It being perfected in or with us. Well, the word that's translated perfect in this passage uh, is also translated elsewhere in the New Testament the word complete or mature. It's the word telos that means to reach the end, to complete, to mature. This is the case when Paul speaks about spiritual maturity in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13. He says, Until we all attain... To the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, 
to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. So sometimes the word is used to refer to uh, a state of maturity or the whole process of growing up in Christ, becoming a mature believer. The idea then is that of <clears throat> growing in your understanding of and your experience of the love of God that is manifested in Jesus. We are perfected in love, perfected with love, as we grow in the knowledge of God's love and experience more and more of the love of God that is manifested in the person of Jesus. So John says to us in verse 12 that if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected, matured in us. Now John doesn't mean by that that by our loving one another, that loving one another is the cause of God abiding in us. In the words that God abides in us if we love one another, or as we love one another, God abides in us. But rather, that our love for one another is evidence of the abiding presence of the God who is love. That as God is abiding in us, as we come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, and God himself is love, the essence of love, then it is inevitable that as he is abiding in us, we are then also loving one another and being perfected in that love. So we ought to ask ourselves, how deep, how mature, how complete is your understanding of and experience of the love of God in Jesus? How well do you comprehend the magnitude of God's love for you in the gospel, in the giving of the Lord Jesus Christ for your sake? There are several factors you could consider to be a part of what it would mean to be a mature believer. Some of it is knowledge. What do you know about God? What do you know about the truth revealed in the Word of God? Some of it is gifts, the gifts of the Spirit. What gifts has God given to you? Some of it is acquired skill or wisdom in life. What have you learned how to do? What skills have you acquired? Some of it's character, uh, that which is built into your life over time and experience. Some of it is the fruit of the Holy Spirit manifesting itself in your life. But none of those things constitutes by themselves what the Scripture means by spiritual maturity. It's all of those things together. But remember, the Apostle Paul warns us, knowledge, as the King James says, puffs us up. But love edifies. It's not knowledge or love. It's not love without knowledge, as though it would be unformed or unshaped by truth nor it is the truth or knowledge without love. But surely, one of the greatest forces, the greatest powers for spiritual maturity, 
is that of the love of God, the power of the love of God, God's perfect love for you, shown to you in Christ. I believe the more you understand it, the more you experience it, the more it completes and matures you. It is a perfecting power. Now, secondly, besides it being a perfecting power, we note the powerful effect of being perfected in love. What are the immediate results? What are the practical results of a deepening, maturing experience of the love of God? What will be the impact in your life as a result? Well, three things. First... It infuses your life with spiritual confidence. Note verses 15 to 17. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him. And he in God. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love and the one who abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this, love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Because as He is, so also we are in this world. In other words, John tells us that establishing a relationship with God is about Communion with God. It is about fellowship with God. It is about union with Christ and communion with the Father and also the Spirit. Note how many times John tells us that to know the love of God also is to have a relationship with God, to abide in Him and Him in us. What one commentator called a reciprocal indwelling. God dwelling in us and we also abiding or remaining in Him. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us of His Spirit. Verse 15, Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God God abides in him and he in God. And in verse 16, God is love. The one who abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. God abides in us by his Spirit. We abide in God. Reciprocal indwelling. It is as the Holy Spirit opens up our hearts gives us a heart of flesh in the place of a heart of stone and awakens us spiritually so that we can have eyes to see and ears to hear and enables us to believe the gospel and to put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Then we have communion with God, we have communion with the Father, 
God abides in us and we abide in Him. In some incomprehensible spiritual way. It is by the Holy Spirit that we abide in God and begin then to experience that God is love. Romans 5, verse 5, the Apostle Paul says, The love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Can you see that, a picture of that? There, at the very throne of God, the Father, the, Holy, the Lord Jesus at the right hand of the Father, enthroned as the Savior and Redeemer, the head of His church, the Holy Spirit taking the love of God, bucket after bucket after bucket after bucket, inexhaustible source, resource, reservoir of the love of God, pouring, just pouring it out, pouring it out upon us in the knowledge of Christ. That's the power of God's love, the life-changing, transforming power of the love of God in your life. How does it change your life? Well, first, it changes your life by infusing into your soul a sense of amazing spiritual confidence. John tells us in verse 17, By this love is perfected with us, so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment, because as He is, so also are we in this world. By this, by what? By abiding in God and Him abiding in us, we are maturing in our knowledge of and experience of God's love, and that love is then giving us, infusing in us, spiritual confidence and boldness and courage, especially as we think about facing one day the day of judgment. Remember, this letter is about assurance. This letter is about knowing that you have eternal life. This letter is about being confident spiritually that your life is secure in the hands of Christ so that when you die, you will not face judgment, but you will pass out of judgment and into eternal life, into the love of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for all eternity. And your confidence about that, your boldness about that, will increase more and more as you have communion with God and as you experience the love of God and that love deepens and matures you, so your confidence before God increases. How can you know more of the love of God? By focusing upon the cross and upon what Christ has done for you. Where has God put His love on display? 
In verse 9 of chapter 4, we are told, By this, the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through Him. The more deeply we meditate upon that, the more deeply we think on that, the more we experience the love of God, the more He infuses our souls with a sense of great spiritual confidence. What troubles you? What disturbs your soul? What makes you uncertain about your life? The uncertainty of the future. The fact that there might be all kinds of hardships and difficulties and tragedies in your future. What is the greatest challenge that you or I will ever face in the entirety of our existence? You know what it is? When you stand before a holy God and have to give an account of your life. But when you know that you abide in God and He abides in you because of the love of God displayed for you at the cross, it will flood your soul with unbounded confidence. Your life will be secure, established, and unshakable, and you will know that you will stand in the day of judgment without fear of rejection because of the love of God through Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul puts it this way in Romans 8, 31-32. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him freely give us all things? I cannot think of anything in this life that could infuse your soul with more confidence than this. That you've experienced the love of God in Jesus Christ. This is the power of God's love. It is a perfecting power and it infuses your soul with confidence. Number two, it removes... All fear from your life. Stories told of a little boy who, uh, whose mother told him as they were in the kitchen, I want you to go into the pantry and I want you to get a can of soup. And he started to go uh, to the pantry and then he said to his mother, It's dark in there and I'm scared. And she said, Well, it's all right. You can go in there because Jesus will be there in the pantry with you. And so he walked kind of hesitatingly over toward the pantry, not sure if he really bought it or not. As he got there, the fear of the darkness started to overcome him, so he started to back up and leave. And he just, then an idea came to him. He stepped there at the door and he said this, Jesus, if you're in there, would you hand me that can of tomato soup? Sometimes we are overcome by all kinds of fears. They don't make much sense sometimes. But nevertheless, we have them. 
But John tells us one of the effects of the perfecting power of God's love is that it, as it more and more takes over the possession of your heart, it pushes fear out of your heart. Verse 18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment and the one who fears is not perfected in love. Perhaps you might think about this as the flip side of of the confidence we've already spoken about. Um, As confidence increases as a result of the experience of the love of God, fear correspondingly decreases. The more you know and experience the love of God manifested in Jesus, the less and less fearful you become. Mature, perfected love casts out fear. The more confident you are in the love of God, the less you have to fear. To the extent that you do not know or experience the love of God in Jesus, to that same extent, fear will invade and control your life. So John tells us there is no fear in love. Fear and love are opposites. When I love someone... And that person is absolutely convinced that I love them. Then they know that they have nothing to fear from me. And if I know that someone loves me, and I'm absolutely convinced, I am confident in their love for me, I know then I have nothing to fear from them. Thus I can be open to them, vulnerable to them, exposed to them, because I know they love me. They won't take advantage of my vulnerability and my exposure. On the other hand, he says, fear uh, involves punishment. Certainly, I might fear a person by whom I might be punished. If I'm not certain about their love for me, I may then fear them, for they may take advantage of me. Here, the word for punishment is the word that's used for eternal punishment in Matthew 25, verse 46, when Jesus speaks about eternal punishment. And certainly, if we don't know the love of God in Jesus Christ, if we've not embraced the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, the one who removes our sin from us and who bore the judgment of God in our place, if we don't embrace Him, then we do have a fear of punishment, of eternal punishment in the judgment day. But if we are God's children adopted by grace, then we have no fear of punishment. Because Jesus already took the punishment. He bore the punishment we deserve in our place. This is a different word than is used in Hebrews 12, verse 5. When Hebrews 12 talks about discipline. Every son whom the Father loves, he disciplines. Discipline is a different word. It's the word for training. The Father disciplines his child in an expression of love for the purpose of training his child in righteousness. The more I know that someone loves me, the more I will trust them, the less I will fear them. And perfect love, the love of God, cast out all fear. The more I know about the love of God for me, in Jesus' Fear of punishment, fear of condemnation is removed, 
And in its place, there will be a loving and holy, reverential awe of my God. You ever doubt that God loves you? Something happens in your life, some hardship, some difficulty, some trial, and you wonder, does God really love me? How could He love me and let that happen in my life? How could that happen in my life? Whenever you have that kind of doubt, and you wonder, does God love you? Just go to the cross. Just go to the cross and remember what Jesus has done for you in taking your sin upon Himself and bearing the awful weight of the wrath of God in your place. And your doubts will be dissipated. You may not, under, under, you may not understand why what happened happened. You may not understand the particular reason for that thing in your life. But you need never fear or doubt whether or not your Heavenly Father loves you and will turn all of that toward your good. The cross proves the love of God and dispels our fears. It infuses us with confidence. It removes our fears. And third, the power of God's love at work in your life will empower you and enable you to love one another. Verse 19 says, We love because He first loved us. Someone says, I love God. Hates his brother, he's a liar, for the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. The one who has come to know and experience the love of God manifested in Jesus will in turn show that same love to his brothers and sisters in Christ. This is why love in general and love for our brothers and sisters in Christ in particular is a spiritual vital sign, a sign of the presence of spiritual life. 1 John 3.14 We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. 1 John 4, 7 and 8 Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. It is impossible for you to know God, who is love, and then not love. The power of the love of God, the perfecting power of the love of God in your life, the experience of being loved by God, who loves perfectly, empowers you then also to love. John writes, we love because He first loved us. This is the power of God's love. A life-changing, transforming power. The more you grow in your communion with God, the more you are perfected in the love of God, the more you are matured by the love of God, the more you grow in His love, the more His power is at work in you, giving you spiritual confidence, removing fear, Enabling you to love each other, even as God has loved you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, work in us by the power of your love and transform us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.